0: Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become grittier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military, who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. This is the Blue Grid Podcast, episode 31. Today, I have a pleasure of interviewing retired Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Kevin Basic, who spent over 23 years studying and applying values-based leadership development. He is an internationally recognized speaker, published scholar, award-winning instructor, and a proven leader. A 1993 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, Dr. Basic earned his Master's in Industrial Organizational Psychology from Virginia Tech and his PhD in Organizational Behavior from Florida State University, studying the concept of behavioral integrity as a driver of trust, accountability, and performance. Dr. Basic, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. And right away, I'd like to start with asking you about behavioral integrity. Could you tell us what that is? Absolutely,
2: Anna. It's awesome to be here. I'm so excited about this topic, and ever since you and I started exploring it together, I've been running into more and more places where I think this is relevant. So I'm thrilled to explore this with you. So behavioral integrity is a concept, and there's a lot of research behind it, but it simply is this. It's the perceived alignment. When we look at someone else, it could be our leader, it could be our peer, it could be our spouse, but it's the perceived alignment between words and actions. Values espoused and values as lived. And sometimes that's also the commitment we make to other people, but even to ourselves. And do we actually deliver on that commitment? When those things are out of alignment or perceived to be out of alignment, there's consequences. It affects trust. It affects you know, organizational culture and accountability and a number of things in organizations, but also in families and in relationships but also when we're kind of committed to our identity, the person we're trying to be. And in the moment, if we feel like I'm not pulling that off, I'm not bringing that to life, that's a struggle. And that's something that needs to be navigated because that's part of the human experience. So I think that's something that's maybe worth exploring today with you.
1: What has led you to study this topic?
2: I was in the Air Force for... Like you said, about 24 years and always loved the leadership development thing. And I ran into a guy, let me tell you just a real quick story. I was on a golf course back in about 1995 and got paired up with a guy who was very successful in his professional life. And it seemed like in his personal life too, just by the way he was talking about things. And it was one of those moments where you're like, I think this could be a mentor in my life. So we sat down and said, Hey, Don, I'd love to grab a beer with you afterward and just pick your brain a little bit because you've been successful. You've hired and fired successful and unsuccessful people. I'm looking to be a go to guy. I want to be respected by my peers and my subordinates, just like I think you are. And I think you got some secret sauce. So he said, Here's the deal, Kevin. He said, You want the secret sauce? Here's what I've learned you want to set yourself apart, you want to be respected be the one who actually does what you say you're going to do. Be the one who does, refreshingly does what you say you're going to do. And I said, well, oh, that's it? He says, shut up, that's it. You think you're that guy. Here's the thing, man. Life doesn't happen all at once. It happens moment to moment. And in the moment, you're either that guy, that girl, you're either in alignment with what you say, with your word that's been put out there, with your commitments, or you're not in the moment. And if you are, quote, out of integrity with your word, even to yourself, then there's a consequence there. And if you want to set yourself apart, the thing that builds trust and reputation and brand and significance and strong relationships is somebody who consistently delivers on that. And that stuck with me, Anna. And as I was going through my professional career, that just became kind of a drumbeat. I'll say a battle cry that be the one who does what you say you're going to do. And Kevin, you said you stand for this. Prove it. Here's a moment. And it just became a constant thing. And when I got sponsored by the Air Force Academy to get my PhD, I knew I'd be going back to the Center for Character and Leadership Development. This is now values based leadership. And I shared the story, that story I just told you, with my advisor in my doctoral program. And he goes, I think you may want to check out some research being done by a guy named Tony Simons out of Cornell. And sure enough, there was a concept. There was actually this thing called behavioral integrity. And Tony Simons had done the research and demonstrated you might not be as good looking as you think you are in this area because everybody thinks they're above average. And there's a consequence in relationships and in organizations and in teams when people see you as being out of alignment with your word. So, hey, you want to develop leaders of character? This is a big deal. So I get lit up by this, and the more I kind of put the goggles on, the more I realized how important this is, not only in leadership,
1: but just in life. When you talk about consequences associated with not living up to your own values, what are those consequences? What is the cost that we pay? when we don't live up to our own stated values.
2: The research is interesting and clear in that it's kind of the whole value chain. Obviously, trust is broken. If you give me your word and you just don't deliver on it, or you say you're about this and I got doggone it, I keep noticing that action's not consistent with it. Or your company, your organization says you stand for this, and then I see you act this way when times get tough. The consequence is engagement. It's employee satisfaction. It is trust. It is performance in the organization. In my research, I found it's deviant behavior. Not only do you get less of the good stuff, you get more of the bad stuff. When I am in a leadership relationship with somebody who I look at, and even if you didn't espouse these values, you're kind of on the hook for them because of the role you're in or the uniform you wear. So it's the whole value chain. And it affects the culture of an organization. It affects performance. It affects the quality of marriage or family dynamics. So anywhere influence is needed, it's undercut when the perception is your word is not sacred, your word is not delivered on. When the video doesn't match the audio, people are going with the video every time. And they will adjust their sales in an organization. I know you've talked a lot about things like toxic cultures. And when there is a toxic culture or a toxic leader, Lord knows there's consequences. Well, one of the things that makes people perceive their leader as toxic is they don't walk the values they should or I can't trust them to actually deliver on their word. And now the psychological safety is at risk. I've got to protect myself. So behaviors
1: will follow. And then you're talking about organizational consequences and maybe I'm thinking, What are the individual consequences? What is the individual cost of not following through with what we say we're going to do?
2: If you're on the receiving end of that, so if you're in sort of a subordinate relationship, let's put this in the Air Force context. If I'm in a subordinate relationship and my leader, I don't believe that they have evidence that's led me to the conclusion they don't stand for the values that they say they do. Then all of a sudden, frustration, cynicism, maybe anger, perceptions of fairness is not an element of this culture. Now, all of a sudden, stress starts showing up. Now, all of a sudden, people are challenging and questioning maybe their view of this organization I'm a part of. My identity is kind of at stake there. And then, all of a sudden, now we've opened the door to potential resilience issues, You know, stress and strain that comes from that. You know, People show up, for example, in the Air Force, and they're coming out of boot camp. They're bought into it. And they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And then, all of a sudden, if they get in an environment where they're going this isn't what we say it is that disillusionment can have consequences you know physically emotionally spiritually so there's individual bills that show up as well now i speak to executives corporate folks i speak to elite athletes i speak to police officers and school teachers and all in addition to the military at every level and the fundamentals are the fundamentals it keeps coming back to You've got to clearly communicate and communicate honestly. People want honest communication, especially in times of uncertainty. People want to feel like you as the leader care about them the way that you should. You know, where's your heart? It's called benevolence in the trust research. So is your heart where it should be? Do you honor and respect me the way you should? Because I'm vulnerable under your leadership. And the number one lever, I call it, the thing that keeps coming up over and over and over again, the people say, "If you're going to successfully lead me, Anna, buy guy, you had better when I ask him, "What's the rest of that sentence? If I'm going to successfully lead you, I had better do what?" The number one response is, "You had better lead by example. Hmm. You show me what right looks like, and I will adjust my sales, because in the uncertainty of the world or in the communication gaps, your example fills the gaps and tells me what right looks like. And think about it. I mean, this applies to parenting and all too. So that's kind of the golden thread that cuts through all the stuff I speak about. It's going to come back to trust, but who you are while you're doing what you do, that matters. So you've got to start with the identity you're committed to being as a parent, as a spouse, as a person of faith, as an airman, as a warrior, as a citizen. So your identity is something you pursue. You never achieve it. You pursue it. And then here we go. Life shows up moment to moment and says, oh, that's who you're trying to be? Well, here's a moment. It might not be so easy. So let's see if you're serious. And that's where the struggle shows up. And the struggle is life. And you mentioned the word battle cries earlier. This is a concept that's sort of shown up over time as We have this internal struggle a lot of times in our mind and voices show up as we try and navigate the obstacles to living out our identity. This is just part of the human struggle.
1: Meaning that we always want to live up to the values that we say that we do, that we kind of claim publicly. And when there are obstacles, we have choices. Yes. And- Maybe what helps us navigate in that environment, in that difficult environment, and make hard choices is part of it, at least, as battle cries. Am I hearing that right?
2: Yeah. Just the fact that you mentioned when those obstacles show up, we have choices. That alone is an important thing to acknowledge because so often the narrative, the voice that starts chirping in our head is, I have no choice. This just happened to me. There's nothing I can do here. And sometimes our response to the voice is critical. And this ties into all sorts of you know psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy and all. What we know is how we talk to ourselves matters. How we describe ourselves to ourselves, how we challenge ourselves. This is the voice of procrastination and uncertainty and fear, but it's also the voice of courage and fortitude. So that conversation that's happening kind of in our mind is important. And if we don't have a healthy response to the voice that shows up that says, I don't have a choice, well, then your behaviors are going to be limited. So the idea of a battle cry is it just acknowledges that there are certain things we can borrow from each other. There are phrases, there are quotes, there are words, there are concepts, there are symbols that can reorient us and give us a response, kind of a comeback. When that voice shows up because the voice can be pretty compelling sometime that I'm not good enough. There's no choice. It's hopeless. I'm not good at this. It won't get any better. Those kind of voices are not unique to any one particular person. It's again, part of the human experience, but when we're able to press on, endure, or even thrive, it's because we've been
1: able to somehow confront that voice and successfully navigate it. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, again, the behavioral integrity as it relates to leadership and then personal behavioral integrity. And I know they may seem like the same concept, but to me, they are separate because leadership starts with personal choices and with an ability and perseverance to lead oneself.
2: Mm-hmm. Any leadership development program tends to follow a certain progression. Personal leadership, let's start with you, because you're the baggage that you bring into every other level. So if you can't lead yourself, you're not going to successfully lead other people. So it's personal leadership, interpersonal leadership, because now you've got to influence other people, then that you know can aggregate up to team and organization. But those micro choices represent conversations, because when you say part of my identity, part of the commitment I've made is, I want to be physically active. I want to run. All of a sudden, here come the other voices, right? And you know them. Oh, I don't feel like running. Oh, this bed is so warm. You know what? The weather's lousy today. All of a sudden, those voices, it's like a whole string of them start showing up and they can be pretty compelling. I mean, this is what procrastination is it's just a voice that's gotten very good at hitting certain triggers, going, you know what? Tomorrow will be better. Mm -hmm. If we don't have a response to that, then our behavior basically is a reflection of the voice that won. Mm -hmm. And we've got the opportunity at the individual level. I love that we start there because how do I navigate that? Because it'll aggregate up. But when I have to have a tough conversation with somebody in my unit, I have to give somebody tough but uncomfortable feedback. I may have to hold a peer accountable. Man, the voices show up. Oh my gosh. This could be icky. I got to work with this person. Maybe it's not that big a deal. If I wait, maybe it'll go away. All those voices perhaps keep us from being the type of leader we want to or the parent we want to. And the behavioral integrity concept at the heart of it is what I call the decision action gap. And that's where the pressure show up. It ain't easy to cross that gap and live out your identity in the moment. So what do we have to help us across the gap despite the pressures? To include, for example, doing it alone. Man, if I have a wingman to help me, if I have a running partner, I know that that will increase my chance I can shut up some of the voices and cross the gap and take a step towards my identity. But sometimes we don't have that. Or sometimes it's what our running partner says That is convincing enough to shut up the voice in our head. Or maybe what we say to them that is all they needed to hear to overcome that voice. The way my pastor says is the scene of the crime is your mind. Mm. And that's where a lot of this struggle happens. And Lord knows how many people are stuck in their lives because they've said, I'm just not good at this, or I'm not worthy, or this won't get better, or the pain is too significant. I mean, you've talked a lot on your podcast about resilience in times of suffering. And I think it was Angela Duckworth who wrote a great book on grit and is the leading scholar in that area. She says, it isn't the suffering that leads to hopelessness. It's suffering you don't think you can control. Mm -hmm. So perhaps a battle cry can be a simple phrase or something that reminds us, control what you can control. There is a choice in here someplace. Because if you don't grab onto that, you're stuck in hopelessness. And Lord knows that can lead to some dangerous behaviors.
1: Can you tell me about some of your battle cries? What has been helpful to you?
2: Oh my goodness. There are so many. And they often show up as things maybe my parents used to say. It could be something I read. It could be a phrase that's popped up over and over again. And there tends to be themes. And when you talk to people about it and explore their battle cries, they sort of cluster. Now, they may be said a number of different ways. To include one of the Hall of Fame battle cries has to do with control what you can control. I mean, that's back to the Stoics for crying out loud, which is you can't control everything, but you can control how you respond. Stephen Covey said there's the circle of concern, which is a big circle. And then the circle of influence or the circle of control. Focus on that. Okay, so there's a lot of different ways. My mom right now, here's one in my life that I hear my mom say because somehow it brings her, it reminds her of this. She says, it is what it is. You know, let let go and let God. Those are all saying the same thing, which is it's too exhausting to try and control things that I cannot control because my dad is in memory care right now. And oh, by the way, he just broke his hip about a month ago. And now he's recovering from that and she can't get to him. And in that struggle, she's hearing voices like, oh, I'm not good enough. I wonder if he's being taken care of. I wonder if he's hungry. Did they think about this? She's like, I got to just control what I can control. Here's what battle cries tend to do. They're life hacks. They provide hope. They maybe remind us of our strength. Sometimes a battle cry can be a kick in the pants. Sometimes it can be a pat on the back that gives you a little bit of grace. Sometimes they put things in perspective or remind us of our why, take us back to our values. They can calm our anxieties or remind us we're not alone. They illuminate choice, back to your point. Maybe they shorten the path we're so overwhelmed with to the next step. You want to know what my battle cry is? When I was in boot camp, I was going through it at the Air Force Academy, and it's called basic training there. My last name is Basic. So I was basic, basic at a time when you don't want to draw any attention to yourself. I'm basic, basic, right? So needless to say, I was everyone's pet project. They just loved that. And my battle cry during that just unrelenting storm was, if I can just make it to the next meal basic, just make it to the next meal. And that for me just shortened the journey to a next step. I heard coach Lou Holtz, he used to say, W-I-N, what's important now? Just, you know, throw that out. When you feel overwhelmed, when the voice in your head is saying, I don't even know where to begin, then, hey, what's important now? Let's shorten the path. What's the next step? you run, right? You're a runner. Mm -hmm. I got to think there are times when the voice in your head is just saying, I don't think I can make it eight more miles. But -hmm. you know what? Okay, just catch that person. If you can just make it to that light post, then we'll see how we're doing. Or I know I can pass that person. Or I know I can run for at least another 30 seconds and then let's see how it goes. Or just one foot in front of the other. For people that, no matter what the journey is, no matter what the storm is that they're going through, we tend to hear similar voices and then it's just great that we can tap into these battle cries from a million different sources that can help guide us or strengthen us or give us resolve. My brother who's a business owner going through this COVID thing and he's just slugging it out and trying to keep things moving forward. His battle cry is just a different version of my basic training battle cry and he got it from A Disney film. He was watching Frozen 2 with his daughter. And in that movie, the heroine says, just do the next right thing. And he said, oh my God, I think that's what I need to do with my company. I just need to remind myself, I can't handle all the chaos, but what's the next right thing? And that brought him comfort. That's what a battle cry can do.
1: It sounds like we all intuitively have battle cries. Maybe we don't call them battle cries, but it sounds like intuitively we all do them. I wonder if we can get better at them and we can practice them.
2: Oh my gosh, we have to. Matter of fact, the
1: battle cry
2: is a response to the voice. Okay, I want to take you back. Let me give you a little bigger context. So we all have these voices. We have these discussions in our mind. But as we face challenges, as we face struggles in life, we find ourselves going through these storms, but there's different phases to the storms. Sometimes we're getting ready for a storm. Oh my gosh, I'm about to go into basic training. We're about to have a kid. I'm getting ready for deployment. You know, there might be a spouse going, oh my gosh, we just got married. We've got this brand new baby and my spouse is getting deployed the voice shows up and says, I don't know if I'm strong enough to do this, right? So it's an anticipatory thing. There's some unique phrases that show up before the storm. And sometimes the voices sound like, you know, this is going to suck. I'm not ready for this. What if this goes poorly? I don't even know where to start. I can't do this. People like me can't do this. So there's a phase before the storm, but there are certain voices that show up there. Then the winds start howling, and we may find ourselves in the storm. I'm raising teenage daughters, and sometimes there are stormy days. And there are certain voices there saying, I think I'm screwing up as a parent. Or if I'm working for a toxic boss. You know, I'm in the storm, and it's just, I don't know if I can get through this. Or people experiencing you know, physical or medical issues or financial issues. The, the winds can be howling. And during that storm, the voices tend to say things like, you know, this sucks, or I can't do this, or I'm not good enough, or it's not working. How do I persist? And then there's a phase after the storm, after we come out of trauma. And there's a whole area of literature on, you know, obviously post-traumatic stress disorder, or how do I put the pieces back together? But there's also an area called post-traumatic growth, which says some people actually come out of The storm's stronger and there's something going on there. So not all of us are at the same point in the storm, but wherever we are, we're hearing usually a consistent type of voice. And we have, yes, we've accumulated battle cries and we need to practice them because they can more quickly get us to the point where the voice we're hearing doesn't have the strength it otherwise would. So my mom, getting comfortable, it's taken her time to just say, let go and let God. Or it is what it is. It's taken her a while for that to just be sort of a natural response when the anxiety monster shows up. Or imagine this, back to the scenario with a military spouse whose spouse is getting deployed and they've got a kid and the voice is saying, I'm not strong enough to do this. Matter of fact, I may be looking around going, Why does this seem so easy for everybody else? I must not have what it takes to get through this. For that person to talk to a military spouse who's done this three or four times, what a gift it is for them to say, hey, man, I heard the same voice the first time I did this. And here's something that I learned to tell myself that made those tough days a little bit easier. Always remember this. You know, it might be, it's just one of everything. Today may be a sucky day because this was your anniversary, but it's a one-year deployment and starting tomorrow, you don't have any more of those. you know? So the gift of a battle cry is you can collect them, you can morph them, you can share them. Matter of fact, you should share them. And then you can practice them and build competence and confidence in executing them. That's so important.
1: My podcast is really designed to distill the ingredients for grit and give people very specific tools, something they can practice to increase their grit. I love the idea of being able to learn to practice those battle cries. And I love the idea of sharing them with one another as a way of supporting one another. And I'll share one of mine. I think I talked about it in one of my podcasts. When I talk about running, when it's a particularly hard run, I don't mean to make every analogy about running, (laughs) It's hard to separate it from my identity. One of the things I talk about is during a hard run, one of the battle cries that somebody will say. So, if I'm running with a group of girls, one of the girls will say, Nice and easy, nice and easy. There is nothing nice or easy about that run. Or one of the girls will say, Relax. And that just really resets everybody and feels so inspiring. And you all of a sudden find yourself relaxing and knowing that everybody's suffering and that battle cry is just a reminder that we all in this together. And so I love that. That's one of my battle cries.
2: Let me interject right there because, oh my gosh, this is where I nerd out about this sort of stuff, Anna. You just lit me up because (laughs) that simple phrase offered by someone else Mm -hmm. did what battle cries do. In part, battle cries inspire you. They remind you you're not alone. I mean, that's a beautiful example And you shared that with me beforehand as we were prepping for this and exploring this before. And you said another one was, and I think it was, you borrowed it from somebody else. I wish it was harder, right? Was that one? That was one of them. I wish this was harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got that from somebody else, right? I
1: did. I did. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. I will tell you this. This is the beauty of it because I think that phrase, and you may have even shortened it because a lot of times we shorten it to just a word or a couple words. You said, I like that because it challenges me, like bring it on. It reminds me of the strength that's still available to me.
1: That's right.
2: You told me that a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I have worked out a few times since then. Okay. And I find myself using that phrase. I love that. <laughs> and and you, you didn't even realize you handed it to me. But as I'm doing legs and I hate leg day, which is now me taking an internal voice and making an external, that's not good. But. I will sit there and go, I wish it was harder. And I'm thinking, Anna doesn't even know she gave me that one. That's the beauty of this. Mm -hmm. It taps into strength. It served its purpose because I don't run. But the voice you hear in your head about I'm getting so tired or this sucks, that's universal. Mm -hmm. I feel it and you feel it. So you borrowed one, you shared it, and it helped both of us. I love that.
1: In talking about being intentional about developing those phrases and practicing them, one of the things that my girlfriends and I do before a race, which has been a long time ago because all the races have been postponed, or closed, or canceled. But when we were getting ready to go on a race, one of us will say, okay, what is going to be your motto? What are you going to reach out for? What are some of the words that you'll be using when it's going to get hard? And we'll just share a few of them. And if something that another person says connects with me, I'll pick it up and say, you know, I think I'm going to use it. And for a race, I need about two or three or four sometimes battle cries, depending on what time of the storm phase I am, right? So whether it's kind of preparing that anxiety, anticipatory anxiety before a race, whether it's beginning and I'm excited or whether when things are really hard and I just want to stop and I think, why am I doing this? And I prepare them very intentionally before going into a difficult event.
2: Yeah. So the fact that you collected a few of them acknowledges the fact that I may hear the voice show up a couple different ways. And I need to arm myself to confront the voice because whatever voice wins out is sort of like the two wolves, whichever one you feed, you know, that old Native American story. To collect those, you can anticipate what's likely coming. I knew that when I left the military and I started my own business, I'd be working from home. I knew that I would get lonely because I miss the office environment. I miss popping in on people's offices and whiteboarding and all that. So I can anticipate I'm probably going to struggle with this. I know this is a vulnerable flank of mine. So what can I do to help protect that flank and make myself stronger? Well, you know, in some cases I know I need to, surround myself with folks i need to build my tribe but i also need to reach out and connect so my phrase was reach out and connect when you feel lonely then there's no weakness in that reach out and connect you can control that kevin so do it and you know so many of these will sound familiar let me just run through a few of them that have popped up in my life and you'll hear a whole bunch of different contexts Some of them are before the storm, some are in the storm, some are after the storm. But what I'm about to offer you, you'll probably go in some cases, ooh, I'll borrow that one. Ooh, that would apply to this. I'm struggling with that right now. So here's one. I heard this one from a guy named Warwick Dunn, who is an NFL athlete. He was at Florida State. He was a Heisman Trophy winner and all that. But his mother was a police officer who was shot in the line of duty. She was killed right before he entered college is one of the top recruits and he's got now four brothers and sisters. He's got raised while he's going to college playing division one sports. What? Well, luckily before she died, his mom had said, Warwick, I don't know when it's coming, but one of these days life is going to rock your world and you will have a choice. You can either get bitter or get better.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that just, for me, I've never gone through what that poor kid's gone through, but I have moments where I kind of was in a, I was, woe is me. And I'm thinking, okay, hey, basic, bitter, or better. You got a choice here. Thank you, work done for offering that. One of my phrases my kids are sick of hearing, but hey, the best you can do is the best you can do, which is control what you can control. The Marine Special Ops Command says it this way all we want is all you've got. So, you know, Mm. you've got that, you know, just give it all you got, and then the chips will fall where they may. When going through those stormy days with our teenage daughter, my wife and I, sometimes when we would have tears in our eyes just going, I don't know who this kid is while she's trying to navigate maturing. We just looked at each other and we said, you know what? We're going to love our way through this. We will never discipline out of control, out of emotional control, but we're just going to love our way through this. And I have a feeling maybe if we do that, things will turn out okay. And that for us was just reassuring. Here's another one. If you, oh, I hate this one. Oh, I hate this one. Okay. <laughs> but it's on a post-it and I hate this post-it. Okay. But it won't go away because it's so useful. It says, it's a long battle cry, but eventually I know what it means. So I can just sort of trigger one word and it activates the whole battle cry. If you don't like what you see, get to work or shut up and admit you're comfortable with this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Hey, if you're looking in the mirror and you don't like what you see, to shut up and do something about it or if you don't you just own the fact that apparently you're cool with it and I hate that but it is a kick in the seat of the pants mm-hmm. and it applies beyond just physical stuff be present somebody gave me a, a little bracelet when I was starting my business it simply said the word hustle which is just you know get off your butt and make it happen if you want it make it happen Do the next right thing. Brene Brown, this was her battle cry when she said, when I know I'm about to get tough feedback, and she is just sort of the master of being vulnerable and sharing insecurities. She said, I will literally tell myself, you are strong enough to hear this. This is the path to mastery. And I thought, I am going to borrow that. Because you can easily rationalize your way out of listening to tough, but accurate feedback because you go, oh, well, what do they know? Consider the source and explain it away. But to say, I'm strong enough to hear this and this is the path to mastery. I have written down on my sheet here, I wish it was harder. Anna you get credit <laughs> for that one. And then I heard one just the other day. A guy said, when your advice monster gets triggered, when somebody comes to you, a subordinate or a child, you know you should just listen or say, hey, what oh, do you think? So you know good. you do that.
1: When your advice monster gets triggered, just listen?
2: It's When your advice monster gets triggered, he said, here's what I want you to just think to yourself. Be curious for 30 more seconds.
1: I love that. That's wonderful.
2: Because I, doggone it, I know I should listen more than I do. So those are just some. I could fill the whiteboard with those. And all I'm doing is going, this might be relevant in a conversation you're having in your head someplace and borrow it from somebody else it's what helped get them to take the next step to be a little more disciplined to remind themselves they do have purpose and value or that it's not hopeless so why wouldn't we not only borrow these but share them that's a responsibility of ours
1: can i share one as well i have a couple the one that i use almost daily nowadays is be kind i know it's very short. But when I get upset and I want to get demanding and I want answers and I want order and control, I remind myself multiple times during the day, just be kind, be kind. And that resets me.
2: And it gets you oriented toward the person you're trying to be. That takes us back to that identity you're committed to.
1: It mm-hmm.
2: helps you across that decision action gap.
1: That's right. And one of my values certainly is being compassionate or being kind. And I don't live up to that value many times. And that's one of the things that helps me be grounded in that value.
2: Because the voice in your head is going, how can I be kind to an idiot like that? You're off and running because that voice is pretty compelling. Yeah. So that simple phrase is like, come on, Annie, you're better than that. Yeah. You you know, you're trying to be.
1: Yeah. And I have a little story. That's something that I borrowed from somebody and the person may not even know that I have borrowed it from her. I used to work with a captain, Catherine Escatel, now major Catherine Escatel, who is the kindest, most loving, smart, hardworking, disciplined officer that I worked with, had a pleasure to work with. And one day we were going through really, you know, it was just one day. It was kind of a, a couple of months that was really, really tough. We had really tough patients. And in the midst of trying to hospitalize this one patient, we've been pressured to do things that we didn't feel were right. Ooh. And so she was in charge of the ADAPT, the substance abuse clinic, and I was the flight commander. And then we have my NCO who was in charge of ADAPT clinic. So we felt what was one thing that was right for the patient, and the patient agreed with us. But we encountered a lot of systemic barriers, and we just couldn't make a decision that was good for the patient. Yeah, right. And it was the end of the day, Major Escatel and my and CONC at the time, Surgeon Smith, sitting in that office, and it was just three of us. And I was so deflated that I just said, what are we going to do? And I didn't mean just about this patient. I felt like, what are we going to do about this kind of work? This is tough. Yeah. And Katie looked at me, Major Scottell looked at me, and and both Surgeon Smith and myself, and she said, We just have to love one another. Ooh, and that gave me chills, and I still remember that. And it immediately allowed me to snap out of this hopelessness. And that simple phrase, you know, we just have to love one another, made me feel my ground again and got us back to work. And I have Come back to that battle cry, we just have to love one another so many times throughout my life. now it's been a couple of years since that happened, and it's very similar, Kevin to your battle cry of we will love our way out of it very similar, it's so powerful in the moment when you want to rage and blame and yeah. just walk away, oh my gosh, how refreshing we just have to love one another
2: so to connect the dots, I mean, what a gift you just gave to everybody who's listening to this podcast and on it. The secret sauce in this whole concept, and a guy named Dr. Arthur Schwartz really teed me in on this, is the power of the battle cry increases exponentially if I know the story behind it. Hmm. The fact that you just painted that picture and you described what it was like, and I could feel just the deflation and the hopelessness. And with that comes specific voices in your head. I don't know how I get out of this. They're a reflection to really connect the dots. To being, it feels like we're out of integrity with what we're supposed to be about. You know, we're supposed to do this and we're being forced to do this. That out of integrity comes with consequences. And you just described that feeling of I'm feeling deflated and hopeless. Now, the people listening to this podcast, they will likely never be in, in an office like yours, in a situation like yours. But by God, they know what it feels like to feel deflated and hopeless and being encouraged to do stuff that doesn't seem right. And they're at that point and you just gave them a beautiful comeback. Just, you know, the fact that, you know, love is available. That is still a choice that is still there. There's the circle of concern. There's a circle of control. We can control how we just love people and move forward on this. So the story is the propellant for the battle cry. So I love that you just shared that.
1: Thank you for that reflection as well. You talk in one of your videos, you have a website, and you have a couple of the videos that are really inspiring and very interesting. And I'd like to switch gears. I'd like to ask you about, you describe an experiment known as a biodome experiment. Yeah, the biodome, yeah. Can you tell me about that? And you draw an analogy between the wind and the forces that are needed to build grid. So, the Biodome, in
2: addition to being a horrible movie with Pauly e. Shore, okay, and that movie was based off of something called Biosphere 2, and it was this huge, I think it was 300,000 square feet or something like that, this huge indoor ecosystem, and it was a laboratory environment. So, it was a lab with multiple sub-ecosystems. You had rainforests and savannas and deserts and jungles, all in this enclosed space, and it was supposed to be self-sustaining, produced its own oxygen, had water. And the experiment was for two years, eight scientists were going to go in there and live in this biodome and, of course, conduct all these experiments. And the whole reason they were even doing it was to see if it was possible to colonize on other planets. Okay, so this was early 80s. Well, big surprise. If you've ever watched enough reality TV shows or you've watched Big Brothers, things sort of went south there you had some personality issues and some human issues, but they had to pump in oxygen, which violated sort of the sanctity of of the study. But one of the things that happened there that baffled the scientists for a while was the trees were growing, as you would expect, in these perfect conditions with the water and the air and the temperature, but they'd grow up and they'd get to a certain point and they would stop bearing fruit and they would just fall over despite healthy ground and they couldn't figure out what was driving it. And then they realized there was something missing from this environment. And it was wind. And what happens is the wind, everything from gentle breezes to big storms, it serves to activate the fibers in a growing tree. And it causes it to drive its roots deeper so it can withstand future storms. But it also strengthens the core of the tree, the trunk. And it's a perfect analogy for the value of the struggle that shows up in life is that those struggles can, if managed well, create strength, Mm -hmm. even post-traumatic growth. One of the sort of indicators of post-traumatic growth is people say, you know, I now realize how strong I am, or I have strength that is only possible because I went through that. One of the reasons the military, you know, in boot camp and other experiences, they have you do uncomfortable things is so that you are now armed with the phrase, if I could do that, then I could sure as heck do that. So these struggles in life usually are things we try to avoid. We try and engineer out struggle and challenges for our kids, for our airmen, for our subordinates. When we all know that it is sometimes the biggest growth periods in our life are because of uncomfortable and challenging environments, but they have to be managed well. And I love Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. She's a Stanford psychologist. She's got a great TED talk out there. And there's growth versus fixed mindset. And there's a whole lot of research there. One of the things that she offers up that's a battle cry phrase in my household is the word yet. And it's just when people are saying either verbally saying or in their mind, they're like, I can't do this. Not yet. Just add the word yet. If you add the word yet to the end of that sentence, it reframes it and reminds you the ball is still in your court. It may be a function of just effort, practice, grit, tenacity. So yet is available. You can get better at this. You know, and my daughter's saying, I can't juggle a soccer ball. I said, nobody could juggle a soccer ball until they could juggle a soccer ball. So you can't do it yet. Mm. So what now? So that the ball's back in your court, literally. So the, the storms of life, that's why I like the analogy of the storm. They're tough. And some people just have unrelenting storms. And they're down on the canvas, man. They're just soaked. And I think when people get to the point of suicide as what seems like a reasonable behavior, Oftentimes, it's because of a series of unrelenting storms, or their soul has just never gotten dry after getting soaked in a powerful trauma or something, and the voice eventually kind of wins out. And I think I told you that when I was visiting a senior leader at the Pentagon who was in charge of the Comprehensive Resilience Program in the Air Force, which is suicide prevention, sexual assault prevention, all that, she had said to me, Kevin, consider this. 100% of the people last year who committed suicide were alone when they did it. And now they might have been with a a friend or a wingman or a family member just moments before, but when they actually did the thing, 100% of them were alone. And that hit me. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought, I don't think that's right. I think they were still in the room with the voice. And they were alone with the voice. And eventually the voice won out. They didn't have a comeback anymore that could keep that option from being reasonable. So even in the darkest days, even when people have been on the canvas and the storm has just been unrelenting, there are others who have had storms that bad and have told themselves, my tomorrows will not be any better than today and today's unbearable. And maybe the people who endured and succeeded and maybe even thrived, God willing, said something to that voice that might be useful to somebody else. And what a shame if we didn't share that nugget.
1: Mm-hmm. Back to those battle cries. Yeah. Tell me a story about all I know is how to show up every day.
2: Yeah. So I'm the youngest of six kids. And our family is very, very close. And my parents have been married for 63 years now, which is why the whole you know, memory care thing is, is just heartbreaking to watch that. He was in his 70s, early 70s at the time, and he had been a developer. He had built things, you know, built neighborhoods and commercial projects and stuff like that because he's an entrepreneur. Some have gone well, some have not gone well. Well, here he was in his 70s. This is a swan song, and he had been partnered with other family members, and they created this thing that was amazing. It was the right high-quality product in the right location at the wrong time because the doors opened. And it was October of 2008, and the economy just tanked. And when that happened, and it became clear that they were probably going to enter financial catastrophe, or at least it felt like that at that time. You know, at that time in their life, man, this was his opus. There were some voices in his head, I can only imagine. So I went down, I drove down to just make sure family was okay and spend some time just listening. And there was one day we were standing out on the patio. And my mom's in the other room and she's just kind of numb from this storm they're going through now. So I'd spent some time with her, but I'm out on the patio standing next to my dad and he's just looking off in the distance. And I can only imagine what he's telling himself at this time. You know, you've failed your wife or your kids or there's no legacy. Left. I can only imagine what the voices legitimately were trying to convey to him. So as I looked at him, I said, hey, dad, how are you doing right now? I said, this is tough. I mean, you've had me come down here to make sure mom's okay, but how are you doing? And he said, Kevin, all I've ever known how to do is just keep showing up. You just show up, no matter how bad you show up with attitude and ideas and effort. And eventually I think if you keep doing that, maybe a path shows up to get through this. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to keep showing up. And I thought, I will never, God willing, be going through what he was going through at that time. But there will be days when I am questioning my value, my legacy, my decisions, what I've done to my company or my people. I I will be just swarming with voices like he had that day. And I now have a great, powerful response. You just say, brother, basic, keep showing up, man. Attitude, ideas, and effort. And maybe a path shows up.
1: What a good battle cry. All I know is how to show up every day.
2: Yeah, you just keep showing up. And, you know, again, if you know the story behind it, you know why that phrase makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if I just said, hey, one battle cry is keep showing up, it sounds like, hey, keep on trucking. You know, you're kind of missing the spirit of why it matters. So that's why sharing the story of, here's what I've learned when I was in your position or when I was hearing the same voices as you. To share the story behind it is to share the power.
1: Thank you for sharing that. You mentioned today a lot of researchers, authors who write about either resilience or grit or behavioral integrity and everything that you've learned about grit and behavioral integrity And you talk about it, obviously, and you write about it. What have you learned about the ingredients for grit? What does it take to be gritty?
2: When Angela Duckworth talks about grit, you know, it's passion times perseverance, right? So it's something that you care about and it's this consistency over time. But perseverance is in spite of challenge, right? So part of grit is it ain't easy, but you keep doing it anyway. If you've ever seen the movie Rudy, have you ever seen Rudy? I have not. Okay, he's a football player. He's this kid, this undersized kid who just always wanted to play for Notre Dame. And there's no way a kid this size with his background, his education, is going to play at Notre Dame. By God, his commitment was absolutely just unquenchable. And he persisted because he was so passionate about this. And despite the challenges, he did it. So Rudy's sort of the perfect example of grit is obstacles showing up over and over again. And he had played people outside his head saying things that would normally get people to stop. So when it comes to grit, there's got to be passion. There's got to be buy-in and ownership of why it's worth it to battle through the storm. And people will endure the phrases. People will endure any how if the why is strong enough. Jen and I, my wife and I, we battled infertility problems, you know? And I would describe my wife's battle through that as gritty. She just said, it's going to happen. And I'm willing to tolerate the shots and the hormone stuff and the heartbreak and all of this just pounding, pelting rain in this storm because I'm so committed to this. So for grit, there needs to be commitment. Sometimes we as leaders or parents or even with ourselves just need to reconnect to the commitment. Is this really who you want to be? Because Lord knows, halfway through your runs, I bet, you're kind of questioning whether this is really for you. You know, There are certain runs where you're like, oh, why am I doing this to myself? You better have a good answer to that. So to say, I want to be this kind of champion, I want to be an Olympian, I want to have completed the the Marine Corps marathon, I just want that so badly that the blisters are worth it. And my knee pain is worth it. There are plenty of people standing on the sidelines going, I ain't running that. I don't know why the heck you would want to. Now comes the perseverance, which means I push through the challenges. I cross that decision action gap and actually live out this identity or this commitment I say I'm all about. And there are certain things that can help me in that process. And you know, again, Rudy wasn't gritty because he loved football. A lot of people love football. He's gritty because he kept showing up despite his size and his background and his grades and his coach and his father and his insecurity, you know, whenever the voice would come up saying Notre Dame's not that good, he shut that down immediately. He had settled that debate before it even started. So part of grit is to connect with the commitment and then know in advance what some of the challenges are going to be and be ready for those. And one of the things Angela Duckworth and her research on grit she says, if you want to raise a gritty kid, and of course it applies beyond just parenting, but she says, if you want to raise a gritty kid, put him on a gritty team.
1: Mm.
2: The environment can infuse, it's contagion, it can infuse sort of this gritty buy-in. It can sell you on maybe the rest of the commitment that you haven't quite bought into before. So who you surround yourself with is important. A great friend and mentor of mine, a guy named Jeff Smith, Dr. Jeff Smith, when I was in the Air Force, he was the commander of PACE, the Professional Armed Center of Excellence. And he used to say, you show me your friends, I will show you your future. And I think there's a lot to that. That in itself might be a battle cry for who I surround myself with. I better pay attention to that.
1: Let me try to recap that. talked about the ingredients for grit are commitment, mm-hmm. connection to that commitment. yeah preparedness for potential challenges because there will be challenges and the environment that fosters grit and on the last point dr smith i think i've watched him do one of the presentations at pace and i really would love to interview him for the blue grid podcast maybe one day make that happen he's so authentic in his teaching and the last point the environment that fosters grit tim ferris in one of his podcast episodes he talks about Writing down for yourself, just write down five to eight people who you interact mostly on a daily basis, who you feel you're connected on a daily basis. And if you write down those five people, that's where you are. If you think about those people in terms of their emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, professional, you know, whatever, personal development.
2: Yeah, a reflection of the people you surround yourself with, sure.
1: Very much so. And then thinking about being intentional about surrounding yourself with people who inspire you, whose actions are aligned with their values, who are successful, who do the right thing, who are great—you know—in any aspect of life—then becomes so so important.
2: And I call those rope holders because imagine sort of a rope tied to you. Sometimes we allow people into our lives are pulling us the wrong direction when we're trying to cross that gap towards our identity? If we're surrounding ourselves by people who are pulling us the wrong direction, maybe saying, you know, this old phrase, hopefully it doesn't exist anymore, but hey man, what well goes TDY stays TDY. Usually they're doing something they know they shouldn't be doing either, but they don't want to be alone doing it. Or you're not helping me out. You might be a lot of fun in the moment, but man, that's not the husband I'm trying to become on now. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to hand somebody a rope, I need to be deliberate about that. And I want to hand it to somebody who knows who I'm committed to, who gets my identity. And I will hand them a rope and therefore give them the authority to speak into my life and say, hey, dude, you're better than that. Or get off your butt. I'm tired too. We're going to go run it. Mm-hmm. Because when you chirp in my ear and you say that, you're pulling me toward The person I'm trying to be, you're pulling me across the gap in the right direction. So, if we're having storms in our life, and maybe the storm is I'm in debt financially and I'll never get out of debt. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Well, you're not the only one who's ever heard of that. You're not the only one who's ever thought of that or felt that way. So, to look around your environment and go, you know what? That person I think is actually in a healthy position when it comes to debt or financial management, I want to hand them a rope in my life. And I want to ask them, what did you say to yourself when you were feeling overwhelmed with debt? You might not have as much debt as I did. And maybe they speak into your life in a way that pulls you in the right direction and makes it easier for you to not put down a credit card on dopey stuff. You know, I had somebody early on in my career who happened to be very financially successful and he said hey kevin for what it's worth let me just tell you this here's what i've noticed poor people pay interest rich people earn interest
1: mm.
2: the sooner you can switch from one column to the other the sooner you'll be financially independent and i thought that's not a bad little life hack right there mm-hmm. you know so when i'm about to throw down the credit card and pay 18% on this thing that's kind of a want versus need marks Phrase sticks with me and maybe causes me to pull my credit card back. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dave Ramsey, but he's you know financial advisor. And there's a lot of people who are just in the storm of debt. And when people get themselves out of debt, sometimes amazing depths of debt. They do what's called a debt-free scream. And then he interviews them and says, you know, what is it that got you out of that? dark place where you were saying I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired and a lot of people go oh my god I heard that story and I thought I was the only one and they just said something in that interview that became my family's battle cry to get ourselves out of debt so yeah you can surround yourself obviously by what you put into your mind what you're watching on tv who you're spending time with that can Increase grit however that shows up, whatever that looks like.
1: Yeah. My last question is this. What would you recommend, Kevin, to service members struggling with difficult times right now?
2: It's a simple recipe, but first thing is to shine a light on what you're telling yourself during this struggle. What is the voice saying inside your head? And then to share that voice. My magic wand is that people feel comfortable acknowledging the internal struggle they're going through and saying, hey, here's the story that's playing on in my head and just share it because other people I have no doubt will rally with them and say, man, I've been there. So what I want people to do is acknowledge the voice they're battling. Here's what I'm fighting in my head. Own that, maybe even normalize it or realize how normal that is. And then explore that with other people. Because it is through sort of this sharing, borrowing, modifying that we can better respond and have a gritty response so that we can be the people that we're trying to be. But right now, so often we feel like we're the only ones going through this, or I'm not comfortable acknowledging that this is what I'm struggling with with myself, but you're not alone. A safe space for people to acknowledge what they're going through is a huge step forward.
1: Thank you so much for this, Dr. Kevin Basic, who is a 23-year veteran of the U.S. Air Force, where he taught and led leadership development efforts at the Air Force Academy, the Citadel, Air University, and beyond. I really, really appreciate this talk. This was very helpful to me and I'll definitely be using that myself. I hope that the service members listening to this podcast will be able to use some of the suggestions and discussions from today's episode.
2: I love what you're doing. Thank you for doing what you're doing and doing it in such a powerful and just vulnerable and humble way. So it's an honor to get to spend some time exploring this with you. Thank you again.
0: This is your host, Major Anya Fidotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and grit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is Anna V at mail. It's A N N A. Dot v Dot, dot mil at mail.